reminds me of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Christ is speaking to the church and He says He's standing outside the door and doing what? He's knocking. He's not just wanting the non-believer to come. He wants the believer to come back. So, it's a good time. We, this time of the year we get so busy, I think a lot of times we uh, often forget the uh, reason for the season. And so, always enjoyed the song and a good job. Last week uh, we had our Charlie Brown Thanksgiving tree and I missed up and wanted to apologize. I basically tried to put two sermons into one because all of you wrote all these different things you were thankful for and we brought them up here but how many of us actually heard them? You all wrote them down but we didn't actually hear what they were. I kind of put two services together and I have a tendency to try to do too much in any way so we kind of messed up on both of them. So we'll try to slow down a little bit. I uh, challenge you to just come up and look what all people are thankful for. That's what we were doing it for. Was the tree looks terrible, but when you start putting your different things you're thankful for, it really can start changing the look of what a tree is. <clears throat> and it's important for us to remember that. So I wanted to think back then on part of what we have is, if you remember last week, a little bit about it, the design that you had is uh, Thanksgiving is supposed to be part of corporate worship. If you recall, in the uh, Nehemiah, we'll just look at a couple. But if you remember in Nehemiah chapter 10, 11, it's in chapter 12, uh, several ones. We'll look in chapter 12. Uh, I'll give you 11, but as we're turning to Nehemiah, you had Benathion was the leader in the beginning of Thanksgiving of prayer. If you remember, Nehemiah was leading them back because of captivity, and he wanted to make sure they did what was right. And so they wanted to make Thanksgiving part of it. You get into Nehemiah chapter 12. You'll notice in verse 8, he's also and his brothers were put in charge of songs of Thanksgiving. It's all part of corporate worship. But when you get into chapter 12, go a little bit later, look in verse 46. It's interesting what you have in Nehemiah chapter 12 and verse 46. Notice it says, For in the days of David and Asaph, in the ancient times, there are leaders of singers, songs of praise, and hymns of thanksgiving to God. And the same thing then happens in verse 47 under Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. When Israel was doing the best as a nation, it's when God was part of worship and thanksgiving was part of worship. They had it under Asaph and they had it under David. And when they came back after captivity, they started that again. We think of our own nation, how how important was Thanksgiving early in our nation. And it was very important. I think it's interesting. So that was the design. The problem that we have, I think, is when you look in Psalms 50. We saw it last week, and then we'll get on to a couple of things new. But in Psalms chapter 50... Notice in verse 12, 13, and 14, God speaking, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all its contents. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Obviously the answer is no. Offer to God a thanksgiving 
our sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble, I'll rescue you and will honor you. So in time of sacrifice, he's making it as part of corporate worship, but he wants the attitude of thanksgiving, not the ritual of thanksgiving. And so often we can sing, we can recite, we can do all kinds of things, and often we get into services in which it's just a ritual. But notice it was designed to be part of corporate worship, thanksgiving. But it's because God wants it from a sincere heart, not just because we have to. You have the same thing when you get in Psalms 95, 105, 106, 107, 142, all of it talking about giving thanks. Once that attitude is a choice, you know, it says sing unto the Lord, thanksgiving, then it also says shout. Can you imagine if we were here and all of a sudden people started shouting thanksgiving? It'd wake some of us up, <laughs> and others would tell you to be quiet, but wouldn't that be great? we're wanting to follow the biblical example we need to have thanksgiving part of corporate worship and I know you all are doing different things but anytime you have something you want to say tell me ahead of time hey I'm thankful for God for this and I'll be more than happy to say and let you do it because he inhabits the praise of his people I think it's part of corporate worship but I think it's the trouble that you have is we get very much into the songs how many can even remember, without looking the numbers up from behind or to the left of me, how many can even remember the songs we sang or the words we sang? We get so part of the worship corporate stuff, do we even remember what we sang? Really singing it from the heart. But I think what happens, so that's the design, and then the desire is to be an attitude. But I think a decision also, you don't have to turn to it. Remember in Daniel chapter 3, in Daniel 1, you remember... They decided, uh, Daniel and his three friends decided they were not going to take the food offered, and they made the stand. In chapter 3, you remember, they were, the three friends were supposed to bow down to the statue, and they said no. That was corporate worship. They chose not to participate. Do you remember what their statement was? Our God can deliver us, but if he doesn't want to deliver us, we still are not going to do it. And how many of us are going to be willing to make a stand, irregardless about what other people think, that I am going to serve only the true God, and I think it's coming in our country when those stances are going to have to be made. And are we willing to make it not just privately, but are we willing to make it corporate? So notice, I think Thanksgiving is part of corporate worship, but it's also part of personal worship. And I think it's where we left off last week. Look over, we talked about it often, we know it real well, in Daniel chapter 6. And then we'll look at some others. Uh, in Daniel 6, it's uh, uh, I'm always amazed. <clears throat> My parents did me a favor and a disfavor at the same time. They named me after Daniel in the Bible and Billy Graham. Now, how would you like to be named after Lieutenant? How would you like to try to live up to either one of those two? You know? uh, but if you remember in Daniel chapter 6, they are wanting to get rid of Daniel because... You find the reason, and notice in verse 4 and 5, in his government affairs, he is without corruption. Verse 5, we shall find no ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Well, wouldn't that be nice if that could be said about any politician today? 
But notice then, so they make the decree, and Daniel knows the decree, you find it in verse 10. Anyone that's going to is going to be thrown into the lion's den. What's the chances of you getting out of the lion's den of a hungry lion? It's the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed. So notice in verse 10, Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house, now it was a roof chamber, he had windows open towards Jerusalem, which is coming out of the Old Testament twice, he talked about praying facing Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, thus was his praying and giving thanks to his God as he's previously done. Did he make any changes? Did they think he was going to make any changes? No. Now, if you and I knew it, how many of us would say, well, I don't have to open the window today. I can pray at a different time of the day. I can pray silently. It was his custom. But notice, I think it's interesting. It said he prayed and he did what? He gave thanks. How many of us would be giving thanks if we knew what was about to take place? He was giving thanks. Obviously, he's had a great life. There's no question about it. But how many of us are willing wanting, would like to have a little more? It's interesting. His choice then was he was going to give thanks. Irregardless of the condition that he was in, he was going to pray, but he was going to give thanks. There's always something we can find to be thankful for. I think we just have to look at what it is. It's interesting. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The Thessalonians are under some uh, pretty tough times. In fact, they, uh, Paul in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, talks about the rapture. And when you get to 2 Thessalonians, it was so bad, they thought that the rapture had already taken place and they were in the tribulation. So they had, were living under some tough times. But it's interesting what he writes to them in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, he does this uh, in, in Ephesians. He does it also in Colossians. Uh, but notice in chapter 5, notice in verse 16. What does it tell you? Rejoice always. It says the same thing in, in Philippians 4. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And Paul's in prison. Now, how many of us want to do that? It's a choice. It's, so in a personal worship, I make a choice to rejoice or give thanks, or I make a personal choice not to. You go on to verse 17. Pray without ceasing. So in everything that you're facing, doesn't mean that you never go to work, but every time a situation comes up, you pray. There's nothing too great or too small you don't go to God in prayer. But notice what it says in 18, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. If they're under persecution, give thanks. We're under this, okay? There's always something that we can be given thanks for. And so once again, it's like I said, it's a choice that we make. You have the same thing if you go over to Philippians chapter 4, this back a couple of pages. You have the same thing in verse 4, which we already talked about. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. But then notice in verse 6. Be anxious for some things. I want to be caught. No, be anxious for nothing. I mean, that's amazing. Where is Paul at when he's writing this? 
in, in a pristine prison underground, right? And he had noticed it. There's a good chance he's going to get killed, and he does later. I mean, you think about it. But it's an attitude. Notice it says, give thanks and you know, supplication with thanksgiving that your request be made unto God. There's always things to pray about. There's also always things to be thankful about. And then God's peace comes. But what happens, we pray, and then what do we do? We take it back, and we start doing what? Start worrying about it. So I think it's interesting. One is it's a choice. But then the second part of the uh, thing about a personal worship is what should we be thanking the Lord for? A lot of things to be thanking the Lord for. And one, we've seen it before, but look over at Matthew 15. It's kind of interesting. It's also in uh, John chapter 6. And uh, the background I'll give you is from John 6, but we'll be in Matthew 15. In John 6, it says that he asked Philip the question. There's 4,000 men. He's feeding the multitude. And there's 4,000 men along with the women and children. So how many people would be guessed to be there? Okay, I mean, you think about how many thousand that is. And he asked Philip. Now, I want to think about it. He could have asked any of the disciples, but according to John, it said he was testing Philip. So put yourself in Philip's position. All right. So we're going to look at your Philip Art Errol. We got fifteen thousand people sitting out here, and according to John, they haven't eaten in three days. And I've got compassion, and I want to feed them. How are we going to do it, Errol? Well, you know, I'm being serious. That's, that's exactly what he's asking. We're a disciple, just like Philip. And Philip says we we even had two hundred denarii. In other words, we had. Basically, a year's salary, we couldn't even give them a bite. And where are you going to find a baker that has that kind of bread available? You, know, you think about it. Now, Jesus already knows, according to John 15, what he's going to do. And you'll see it on there. Jesus knows what he's going to do. And if you see in 32, it says, They haven't eaten in three days, and I don't want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Jesus has compassion for them. We need to take care of them, but we don't know how. The disciples said to him, Where would we get many loaves in a desolate place to satisfy such a great multitude? They respond, How? With sight. Normal things. Just like we do. Jesus, notice it's interesting. Jesus said to him, How many loaves do you have? Seven loaves and a few fish. According to John, what kind of loaf was it? Okay, but what flavor, if you will? It's a barley loaf. That was a, that was the loaf of the poor. So you only have the barley loaf, the poor loaf that they'd get, and the small fish, sardines, basically. They got a few sardines and some poor food. That's all we've got. And look what he says then. Directing the multitude to sit down. Okay, if you tell the multitude to sit down, what are they going to be expected? Food. And if you notice, he told the disciples to do it. Now, how would you like to be one of the 12 disciples? Go sit down. We're about to feed you. And if you don't feed them, 
What's going to happen? Are they going to turn on you? It's interesting when you stop and you think about it. You'll notice that in 36, you also find, especially in John, he gives thanks. How many of us are giving thanks before we eat, even if it's a barley loaf or it's a cup of sardine? When you think about it, how many of us are looking at the other person's plate to see what they have? A lot of times we look at what somebody else has and not what God's provided for us. It's interesting, there's 4,000. And notice you look in John, you ever stop to think, what did he tell the disciples to do in John 6? After they were all satisfied. You think about it, when you start passing that out and you all have these baskets, you're a disciple and you look in this basket and you start going down the road. If they haven't eaten in three days, what do you think is going to happen when you get to the end of it? First, do you think that everyone's just going to get one little piece? Or they care about what? You ever been to that when they go through that and they serve it? Jane and I will remember it. One of the kids was FFA. By the time we were at the end, the time we got there, food was gone. They didn't look around to figure out how many people were there and say, we each need to take about this much. No, I care about one person. I'm getting it for me. Disciples were passing it out. But don't you ever stop to think they then were told to do what? Gather what? The leftovers for what reason? Okay, that's easy when you think about it. If it's your family's leftovers. But how many of you want to eat half a sandwich I didn't eat? That's what it is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I know, but you stop and you think about it. <coughs> they gathered the leftovers from all of them, and the purpose was for them to eat it at a later day. And how many of us would want to eat and be thankful for the leftover that we got? But again, notice, is the choice... We still have a choice, don't we? You know, we have a choice to be thankful for provisions. How would you like to be Elijah in First Kings 18? What brought him food twice a day? An unclean raven, a scavenger. How many of you, and granted, the, the, the raven could have gone and got just fresh meat and the right kind of food according to dietary. Could have, we don't know that. But how many of you would like to eat something that a raven brought you? And what had he been on prior to coming and bringing that to you? You know, you think about it. What was the diet of John the Baptist? Locusts and wild honey? Sounds like a great meal to me. So stop and you think about it. The one is provisions. Look at something else to be thankful for. Look over in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is speaking an example that we have of Paul. Notice that you have it in verse 16. Notice he says in 116, Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in our prayer. One is provisions. How many of us are giving thanks for people? 
You ever, you know, this Meryl said today, I had to get out of the house. You know, sometimes we just want to be alone, but after a while, how many of you just want to be stuck in the house all the time? God's created us to be around people. But notice, you think about it, how many times are these people in the churches that Paul was at, how many problems did they cause Paul? And he says, I'm thankful. He does the same thing in Colossians, I'm thankful. He's thankful for people. And notice then in verse 18, he also has a petition. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that he may know what the hope is of his calling and the riches of his glory and the inheritance of his faith, or saints, and the power that you have. So notice then, in personal worship, in prayer, in your personal stuff, one is a choice, but two on the petitions. What should we do? thankful for food, I'm thankful for people, and I'm also being praying for different things to happen. But most of the time, how many of us are praying for people for their spiritual well-being? Every time you find Paul, he doesn't say don't pray for the physical things, but his main concern is the spiritual things of their life. And that's what he asked for prayer for. But what's also interesting when you stop and you look at his petitions, Paul doesn't ask for prayer for himself until the very end of each book. That's amazing. Here he's in prison and everything else, and he writes to each one. He does it in Ephesians. He does it in Philippians. He does it in Colossians. Every time. He writes to thank the Lord for them. He has a petition for them, and then he talks at the end about himself. Most of us, when we talk to people, who do we talk about? We talk about our needs and so on. Let's just look at it. That's why I talked about it being a challenge. Since you're in uh, Ephesians, why don't you go to Philippians? You'll find the example that you have, and we'll look at Colossians too. Notice in Philippians 1, Paul's writing from prison. And you'll notice that what you have, notice he does this in verse starting in verse 3. Chapter 1, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayers with joy in every prayer for you all. Notice he's praying for them. You notice you go a little bit further on, his petition that you have, and the petition you have, you notice a little bit further on, is in the, uh, talking about in chapter 9 and 10. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and sermon. And you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. I'm thanking God for you. My name. And now I have a petition. I want you guys to grow and grow and grow to be more and more like Christ. But what about his personal needs? Look over in chapter 6. Or the end, rather. He'll have on his personal needs. He basically. That is correct. <laughs> You're good. He uh, probably we go back one chapter. It's in Ephesians chapter six. Go back one. I had the wrong verse written now. In Ephesians six. At the end of the book of Ephesians, likewise written from prison, because he did the same thing in Ephesians. 
Notice what he says. That you may also know all about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I've sent him to you for this purpose. So you may know about us, and he may comfort your heart. Tychicus carried these three letters, or four letters, and he brings it. He's going to then tell them about the conditions, what's going on. Amavis would have just put it in writing. And we would have had it at the beginning of the book. Paul is more concerned about them. And he then says, but hey, when you want to know about me and what's going on, he'll tell you when he gets there. That's amazing. So he does it in Ephesians, he does it in Philippians. What about Colossians? Another book written from prison. Chapter 1 and verse 3. Colossians 1, 3. We give thanks to our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love which you have for all the saints. Again, thanking God for people. Go to down verse 9, his petition. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased praying for you that you may have the knowledge filled, be filled with knowledge of his love, spiritual wisdom, understanding, so you may walk worthy of his calling, bearing fruit in every good work. I'm thanking God for you, and then I have a petition that you're going to then grow and get and learn more and more and more and be more and more like Christ. He does it throughout. Notice he even tells you how to do it in chapter 2, in verse 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. You come to know Christ by faith. So you come to him by faith, and then what do we usually do? Do we walk by faith, or do we walk by sight? You've come to Him by faith, walk to Him by faith. Notice in 7, having been firmly rooted, now being built up in Him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with what? Gratitude. It's amazing. So notice He starts again. He's praying for people. He has a petition for them about they're going to grow spiritually. And then notice in chapter 4, he finally brings up a personal need. Starting in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with, notice again, the attitude of thanksgiving. Always a thanksgiving. Notice then in verse 3 and 4, his prayer. Pray at the same time for us as well that God may open up a door for the words that we may speak the mystery of Christ for whom I've been imprisoned, in order that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Notice what he doesn't say. Does he, do, he doesn't say, get me out of here. He says, I'm in prison because I am speaking the word of God, but I want prayer to what I will speak clearly to everyone around. And if you read the book of Rome, that's the, how the Practarian guard, the, serious, the Caesar's personal guard, he got to know many of them came to know Christ. If Paul hadn't been in prison, who would have told him? So why does God allow things in our life? 
Why has he sent us to a doctor? Why is he in a hospital? Part of it could be that we need to be what? A witness where he has us. He may allow things to happen physically, so I'm in there to or then a doctor or a nurse or an other patient. Somebody can then see the walk that we have with the Lord to come to know him. But it's interesting, Paul wants clarity to speak it like he should. That's amazing. Because most of us would have said what? Nothing wrong with praying that we'll get out. But I want to have clarity when I'm here. There's a reason why I'm here. What's the reason? And then do it. I think it's interesting when you look at it. Uh, look over in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4 for a minute. We'll see a couple of them in 2 Corinthians and then one in Hebrews. Second Corinthians. And it's just amazing when you look at the parts on Thanksgiving. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice in verse 15. For all things are for your sake, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer body is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Is Paul going through a lot of physical, difficult times? It's amazing how he says light affliction. You get to chapter 12, we start reading about it. I'd hate to think if that's light, I'd hate to see something bad. But why is he able to, to accept it? Because he looks at what's being produced in other people. Because of all these things that I'm going through, I've been able to help you, and you're helping others, and I see great growth, and the gospel's being spread, and I'm rejoicing over what's going on. So I'm willing to put up with this because of what's happening. All of you that are parents, grandparents, how many times have you guys given up stuff for your, your kids and grandkids? Why? You love them, and what it produces? Yes, that's why you do it. We, the same thing is true in our spiritual world. How much are thankful? How much are thankful that we can do it and what it's doing? Since you're in Second Corinthians, go over to chapter nine, chapter eight, and chapter nine. If you remember the story in the book of Acts, there was a great famine. They were told in the book of Acts there was to be a famine, and that the Gentile churches. Because the, Gentile, the Jewish churches had sent the gospel to the Gentile churches, the Gentile churches now are supposed to take up collections and send it to help out their Jewish brothers. So notice what happens when you get to verse 12 of chapter 9. For the ministry of this service, talking about giving this offering, is now only fully supplying the needs of the saints, some of the saints in Jerusalem, but it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. You give Gentile churches, and when the Jewish churches get it, what do they do? They're giving thanksgiving. When we give to different places that we've given all over the world, you think when Tung P gets the money that we send, or we, you think of Drew and Christine, or Carolina College, or whatever, oh man, is that all they gave? I need to, no, they're rejoicing. Because of 
our choice to give sacrificially or give whatever, it causes others in other places to respond in thanksgiving. And how many times do we ever think when we're giving in an offering plate, it's going to cost somewhere, someone to say thanks. And that's whether it's through the IMB or whatever it might be. It can be allowed. Last one, let's look over in Hebrews chapter 13. Notice in verse 15 and 16. Hebrews 13, 15, and 16. Through him then, talking about Christ, let us continue offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. Do not neglect doing good and sharing with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Is it a pattern? A pattern of giving praise with our lips and give offerings to say thank you to the Lord. How many of us give offerings out of obligation? God doesn't need it. He owns everything. But He loves it when you give it out of sacrifice. So we think about the time of Thanksgiving, man. Should it be part of corporate worship? You know, I shouldn't have ever ask for somebody to give praise. I should have people ask me, I'm thankful, can I say something today? In fact, wouldn't it be great if I had to say, there'll be no message today? Because we've had the entire service of people saying thank you to the Lord. That'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. Certainly can. And also, what about personal worship? Do we need to thank the Lord for what He's given us? I mean, you look around the world, we and he have a lot to be thankful for, our provision. We also, how many of us are thankful for people? The people that God's brought into your life. Tremendous amount of things you have. And you look at so many different ones, and you wonder, what, it's just only by God's grace that so many of these people God's brought into your life. For people, but then, how many of us are making petitions for people? We're praying for them, we're giving there's so many ways to give thanks and so on. So we think about it throughout the time. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus and not on things, but just, Lord, you've given me this. What do you want me to do with it? Whatever it is, whatever finances, abilities you have, how can I serve the Lord?